Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. In 1932, the United States government opened the FBI Training Academy. But what the Founding Fathers had in mind... Welcome to the FBI. Put your weapons on the ground! ...was not Ellie DeWitt. Hey, don't like this, you get respect. Or Janice Zuckerman. For DeWitt, it's going to take initiative. You guys in a gang or something? I don't think you've got a prayer. For Zuckerman, it's going to take a miracle. FBI, freeze, gumball. If they're going to become federal agents... Come on, we're young, we're single, we're heavily armed. ...it's going to require a lot of teamwork. Double action or single action? Double or single. Uh, whatever. You know my taste. A lot of field work. Oh, got a tattoo? Yeah, I got a tattoo. Whip it out. And a lot of footwork. He's kind of cute. You're a sociopath. DeWitt and Zuckerman, together, they just might graduate the toughest course known to woman. FBI, freeze! Rebecca De Mornay. I hope the people of the United States of America will be able to sleep better knowing that women like us have guns. And Mary Gross. You're talking to me? You're kidding. I didn't think so. To law enforcement. Feds. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Feds from 1988. The studio was Warner Brothers. The release date was October 28, 1988. The running time, 83 minutes, and it was rated PG-13. Don't have the budget numbers, but the box office only took in $3.8 million, making it the 129th ranked movie of 1988. It did beat out Critters 2, the main course, by one place. So there's that. So Feds is the type of movie that unless you grew up in the 1980s and went to video stores often, check and check in my case, you probably missed this one. However, it was likely on HBO at the time, but we never had HBO growing up. My uncle did though, but he didn't bother to tape this one for us. So I'm pretty sure my mom rented this one on video, and since I love the first four Police Academy movies, this seemed like a good one to watch. And there is definitely some Police Academy scattered about, but Feds is less over the top, and a humorous look at what FBI hopefuls need to go through to make it, specifically from the female point of view. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have Rebecca DeMornay, who plays Ellie DeWitt. So DeMornay is still best known to this day for her co-starring role with Tom Cruise in Risky Business in 1983. However, after Risky Business, none of the films she appeared in through Feds really did that well. She was in films like The Slugger's Wife, The Trip to Bountiful, Runaway Train, which that wasn't bad, and then the movie And God Created Woman. They never came close to the success of Risky Business, and neither did Feds at the box office, but it's a fun film. DeMornay did have more success in the 90s with films like Backdraft, The Hand That Rocks a Cradle, and Never Talk to Strangers. She continues to appear in films and television shows today. Mary Gross plays Janice Zuckerman. Now, Gross is best known for her time on Saturday Night Live, specifically during the early 80s when Eddie Murphy was by far the biggest name on the cast. She famously played Alfalfa from Our Gang during the great Buckwheat Has Been Shot, (laughs) that bit. Film-wise, Gross mostly played bit roles in comedies like Club Paradise, Baby Boom, The Couch Trip, Casual Sex, Big Business, and Hot to Trot. 
And if you didn't know, Mary is the sister of Michael Gross, who played Stephen Keaton, who was the father on the hit TV sitcom Family Ties with Michael J. Fox. The director and co-screenwriter was Daniel Goldberg. Now, this was Goldberg's one and only film that he directed. He was better known for his writing and producer credits, collaborating often with Ivan Reitman. He co-wrote the screenplays for Meatballs, Stripes, and Heavy Metal. He also produced the original Space Jam, Private Parts, Road Trip, Old School, Euro Trip, and the three Hangover films. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with a montage which acts as an introduction to Ellie DeWitt. Of course, that's Rebecca DeMornay. She's leaving the Marines and heading to Virginia to be an FBI agent. The head of personnel for the FBI is candid with Ellie, saying that her test scores are adequate but not exceptional, though her military background will help her case, but many highly qualified applicants will not even be accepted. However, since the FBI is required to take a percentage of female applicants, she will be given a fair shot in the training academy to prove she can make it as an FBI agent. Ellie heads over to the training quarters and makes quite the impression and also meets her roommate Janice Zuckerman, played by Mary Gross. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, it's my fault, really. Ow. Oh. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. No, 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 you stay up. I'll go down. You stay up. <laughs> Thanks. Don't mention it. Oh. Sorry. Thank you, I needed that. Ellie DeWitt, nice to meet you. Thanks. Ooh, is this a dog or a pig? Nice. Listen, you want some help bringing up the rest of your stuff? <laughs> this is my stuff. Oh. Hmm. So you want to go grab a beer? Get to know each other a little? No, we have a class in two hours. Constitutional law applied to law enforcement. Papa Hefferman. Ever hear of him? No. Special prosecutor, Appscam. Wrote two books in the Constitution. Anyway, I'm two chapters away from finishing his second book. Oh, it's only the first day. I mean, what are they going to do? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, okay, okay. You win. We'll do it your way, okay? You can ask me three questions. All right? Thanks. You're right. Next question. Go to movies? Yeah. John Ford's Grapes of Wrath. Favorite author, V.S. Nepal. Favorite painting, The Conversion of St. Paul by Caravaggio. Favorite music, Rolling Stones. Last question. You like the Rolling Stones? Last question. <laughs> From this initial meeting, we see the differences between the two roommates. Ellie is less uptight, has more physical strength due to her military training, and is not keen on studying. Whereas Janice is the nervous type, definitely type A, and absolutely loves to study. 
The first training is how to apprehend a suspect. We get a funny demonstration of one of the nerdier cadets who isn't ready for the painful arrest from FBI agent Sperry, played by James Luisi. Janice is partnered up with Brent Shepard, played by Ken Marshall, who doesn't take her soft-spoken arresting tactic seriously. On the other hand, Ellie decides to show her partner, who is named Parker, and is played by Rex Ryan, not that Rex Ryan, that he better take her seriously. Excuse me, I think you're supposed to be my suspect. Well, if I'm supposed to be your suspect, how come I'm not arrested yet? But as nice as Ellie's arrest was, she forgot to identify herself. And the advice for Janice is to practice. A lot. During the lecture about the law and constitution, Ellie is called upon and is woefully unprepared, as she has not even bothered to read the textbooks, which have been written by the instructor. Janice, on the other hand, is more than prepared and answers correctly when called upon. Ellie is called out in front of the class by the instructor and told, out of 40 students, only 9 pass. The other 31 end up in completely different and remedial professions. Now, this is a wake-up call for Ellie that she needs to study and study hard. The next physical instruction is for the cadets to do as many chin-ups as possible. Ellie and Brent are the last standing, while Janice can only do three. The class is introduced to special agent Bill Balecki, played by Fred Dalton Thompson. Balecki informs the class that those students that do not improve significantly in either the written or physical tests will be removed from the program. We then see different parts of their training, like interrogating suspects and recognizing their unspoken traits and tendencies, along with gun training and obstacle courses. In between the intense training, there is some off-hour levity and bonding, including a pizza-eating contest between Ellie and Parker. Now, Parker is definitely going to win the contest, but then Ellie and Janice have a terrific ruse to mention that they hope the pepperoni is properly cooked, Because if it isn't, it could lead to little parasites and worms that would lay eggs in your intestinal tract. Suffice to say, Parker is disqualified and loses the contest after losing his dinner. Ellie and Janice hang out more outside of the campus as Ellie goes with Janice to buy a gun of her own, which will help her get used to firing and also develop a bond with her own firearm, which should help her firing skills. After getting the gun, Ellie and Janice are having lunch, and Ellie notices something strange about the bread truck across the street, parked next to a bank. As it turns out, a holdup is in progress. Okay, you crouch down real low, and you make like you got a gun right next to me, okay? Okay. Okay. Okay, FBI, freeze! Put your weapons on the ground! Well, things are going well until another robber comes out of the bank with a machine gun and starts firing on Ellie and Janice. The duo take their car from a bystander and then follow the robbers in their getaway car, which is a bread truck. Ellie shoots out the tires of the bread truck and overturns the vehicle. They make the arrest and wait for the police to arrive. So you think, great job, right? Well, Ellie is on top of the world. She's feeling like she's already made it as an official FBI agent, not just a trainee. Janice isn't as confident. The two are debriefed by Agent Balecki, who informs them that the FBI is not a SWAT team. They were supposed to secure the safety of innocent bystanders, call the local authorities for backup, follow the perpetrators without exposing themselves, attempt to isolate the perps from innocent bystanders, then proceed with risk when the aforementioned conditions have been satisfied. Ellie and Janice did none of those things. Balecki and the FBI were not impressed with their actions. 
Balecki informs them that the media has agreed to cooperate and not disclose that trainees were involved in the arrest. However, if it leaks out that Ellie and Janice were involved, they will be expelled from the program immediately. They are then put on probation. Now, what's interesting about this is if it happened during today's time, social media, they would have been filming everything that happened in progress, and they would have been toast. Stryker, B. DiBiase, C, you fail. Peterson, C, you fail. Kiwana, C, fail. Parker, B. Zuckerman, A. Good work, Zuckerman. Shepard, A. Good work. Pickerstaff, B. DeWitt, F. One more and you're out. Butts, B. Key, B. Nami, C, you fail. Seidel, Yeah, you're under arrest. Stop against the wall. I don't know, Zuckerman. There's something about you. It just doesn't seem right. Turn around. Grab him. And get those hands up. Are you sure you want to be an FBI agent? Stand still and keep your mouth shut. Bang. You're dead. So even though Janice is doing really well at the written portion, her physical skills are extremely lacking. And Ellie is exactly the opposite. Janice decides to quit and leave the program after another poor physical exercise. And you know what? It's no big deal. You flunk, you work harder. You flunk some more, and you work harder some more. You know what? You ought to write a book, The Joy of Flunking. Very big. So Ellie gives a pep talk to Janice and tells her how she was always told that she wasn't good enough to be in the Marines and how it motivated her to be better. Ellie offers to help Janice with the physical demands of the FBI while Janice can help Ellie with the written knowledge. If the two help each other, they can succeed. Janice decides to stay and we get a great 80s montage of the two helping each other to improve their weaknesses. So Brent asks Ellie out for a dinner date, which Ellie accepts. However, she has nothing to wear as her usual outfits are t-shirts and jeans. This means a funny shopping scene as Janice helps her pick out a dress. So while Ellie is out on a date with Brent, Janice and Howard Butts, played by Larry Cedar, bond a bit in the dorm. This is great. This is great. It's not a desk. It's a, it's a deli. Here. Did you ever try sesame snacks? They're fantastic, you know. And um, the thing about... What is this? It's weird. We then go to the restaurant where Ellie and Brent initially hit it off, but the thrill quickly fades. Thank you. This is so great. <laughs> This is I've ever been to a place like this was watching Dallas. Do you want some more white wine? Hmm. Excuse me, waiter. Could we have another white wine and margarita? Thanks. Just like my dad says, Washington is a nation unto itself. You know, do you and your dad and your granddad ever get together and just forget about the FBI and get blasted? Sure, we down a few on Super Bowl Sunday. 
frankly, my dad and my granddad are more concerned about what's happening to the Bureau these days. What's happening? Well, I don't want you to take this personally, but they feel this whole equal rights business is lowering the caliber of new agents coming in. You're kidding. Well, not you. You are a Marine. They love you, but some of the others. Zuckerman, for instance. Give me a break. What's wrong with Zuckerman? Well, seriously, can you see her functioning as an agent? Hmm? I mean, she's... You know what she's like? She's like one of those people who jam on their brakes if they see a cat in the road and end up causing a 12-car pileup. You can't stop for a cat in the road in the FBI. You gotta be prepared to mash him into the pavement. You know what I mean? She's gutless. Anyway, she'll probably get cut. Did you hear about uh, O'Sullivan, the IRS agent? She's out. I told her today. Well, by the way, I've seen Zuckerman show a lot of guts, okay? You're right. What'd you do? Push away into line at the Dairy Queen? Brent, she's my friend. No, no, I know. She started wearing mid-length skirts when everyone else was still wearing long. You still here? Hands over your head. Give it up, Zuckerman. You're obviously not cut out for this. You have the right to remain silent. If you give up this right, anything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. You have the right to have an attorney present. If you cannot afford one, an attorney will be appointed by the court. Do you understand each of these rights as I've explained them to you? See you in class, bucko. And as you review these cases, keep in mind they document real crimes investigated by real agents. And your job is to write a comprehensive review of each of these cases, evaluating the methods employed by the agents involved. And be thorough. It's crunch time. Case number seven, suspected theft of government property. This one's pretty self-evident. Case number eight. Oh, Long Island. Wait, wait, wait. Could we go back to number seven for a minute? Suckerman, it's nine o'clock. We have 11 other cases to review for tomorrow. I think we should take another look at the agent's field notes. The interview of Dwayne Burbick, the student working the night shift, the bagger. I don't think the original agent said a comprehensive job. And what did you find deficient? We didn't ask him anything personal. They asked him what he knew. He didn't know anything. They asked him what he saw. He didn't see anything. Brent, I think we're missing something here. How do we know if the subject's being truthful? We have nothing personal to measure it against. Oh, come on. Give me a break. Hey, what's the big deal here? Let's just take a few minutes and review the field notes. Do it. Wake up. Nobody cares if some dry cleaner lost a bunch of Navy blankets. I care. <laughs> okay. Fine. In the case of the U.S. Navy blankets that disappeared from the Washington dry cleaners nine months ago, 
It seems Ms. Zuckerman and Ms. DeWitt here feel the investigating agents did not get personal enough for the night bagger. This is a zero case, and quite frankly, I'm bored with it. I think our time would be better spent if we moved on. All in favor? I'm in. You're outvoted. Case number eight, the Long Island kidnapping. So Janice and Ellie decide to pursue the dry cleaning case on their own. And this involves a few funny scenes where they interrogate a few stoner college guys and later head to a seedy rock bar. If you've seen enough 80s comedies, it kind of follows the sort of barroom trope to a T. Definitely think Police Academy for these particular scenes. Now, their investigation leads to an A-plus grade from Special Agent Balecki. Ellie and Janice have one more hurdle to overcome, the simulated crime exercise, which is incredibly difficult. So what will happen? Do they make it? And if so... What sort of assignments are in store for the duo? Well, it's all answered in the final 20 minutes. Is this the greatest 80s comedy? Not at all. But it's a fun, quick, and different type of buddy cop movie that you didn't see often in the 1980s. And frankly, it's still better than anything out today. So, give it a shot. In the meantime, enjoy this scene of a drunken Janice dancing with a sailor at a bar. Bonus points for the scene because... The song in the background is played by the blues great Albert Collins, who plays Lights Are On, But Nobody's Home. No, four. Four times. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Janice? Janice? You might be getting a little carried away here. I'm going to find a cheap hotel with Captain Ahab here and see if he can put me in a coma. Hey, Popeye, what do you say we go for a ride? Just you and me and Moby Dick. Sounds good to me. Janice, Janice. Come on, you're drunk. Good enough. We're going home. Come on. Hey, she's not drunk. Oh, don't yeah? worry about it. Come on, Gilligan. Let's go get that harpoon measured. Well, maybe she's a little drunk. You're right. You're both right. This is no reflection on you. You were great. Thanks. Hey, uh, maybe some other time, huh? All right, a fun fact. The ending credits stated that the real FBI did not support the film or assist the production in any kind. Now, if the film was a box office hit, I truly wonder if the FBI would have been more kind. In any case, we have a first-time guest, and she's great. Her name's Lindsay. She remembers seeing this film when she was a kid, and she got to rewatch it. And I get her fresh take about feds. How will she feel about it? Well, you're about to find out. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we are back, and we're having a first-time guest, and this is always fun to have first-time guests, but I think this is going to be the first time of many times. Um, and we're not doing an obvious movie, but that's fun. So we're going to have an 80s aficionado, because she grew up in the 80s, just like your host, and that is Lindsay. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm glad to be here, and I'm excited to be on the show for the first time. So we're going to talk about the movie Feds. Now, we just rewatched it. Do you remember at all watching it when we, you know, when we first saw it you know, way back when? Like, Do you think it was like a video rental or cable or something like that, possibly? 
oh, this was probably a blockbuster rental for me back in the day, or it could have been an HBO thing. We did have cable back then. I was lucky to have that. Um, but I do remember it. I, I don't remember a lot about the nuanced bits and pieces of what happened, but I do remember the movie and I do remember the basic premise and some of the scenes that were in right. the movie. If you can remember, would this be the type of movie that stood out because it was two females in the FBI or was it just a fun 80s comedy that would have been enjoyable for the entire family? I think it was a good balance of female empowerment, but also like humility and, you know, good comedic timing. I really liked the interplay between the two actresses. And I thought that overall, this film doesn't feel super dated in the way it talks about women. Like looking back at a lot of classic 1980s film, unfortunately, you can see the uh, intense misogyny, dare I say it, in many of those films, even films I absolutely adore. And I certainly didn't see it at the time, mm-hmm. but looking at them now, I see them in a little bit of a different light. But one really refreshing bit about this film is that now watching it again all these years later, it didn't really have much of that. Like, it really kept... Women in a in a strong position, but didn't make them seem like they were being overly aggressive in any way. They were they were doing their thing, and they were um, portrayed really accurately, which I liked seeing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we noticed is that this movie's really brisk. It's about eighty three minutes long, and part of the reason it it works, I think, so well, even if it's not like the best movie you've ever seen, is because it never really it's never slow. It's it's never super boring, and today they probably would have stretched it out to close to two hours. They move the story along really well, I think, at this length. If they were going to do this today, not only do I think it'd be twice as long, but I think that there'd be a lot of overcompensating and trying, and I think it would be less honest in a funny way. And I think seeing that this rolled along through a few very key points along the becoming an FBI agent journey and the scenarios that these two women found themselves in, um, you never really lost my attention. And also it replayed things that I think would happen as they did. Some of those scenes where you have, you know, the Rebecca De Mornay character is so much more in tune with some of the physical work that the agents do, where Mary Gross is much more in tune with the educational aspects and the law aspects of the work. They help each other. They it's it's a great essay on how women use community to get shit done, mm-hmm. which I think is really nice because I feel like we still do that today. We lean into our strengths and we help each other and Unlike some of the men in the film that felt like they were really competitive and like working over each other and trying to succeed, you know, above and beyond the others in the group, these women were partners. Like they really Mm. got it and they helped each other and they did it in a reasonable amount of time. So I was really interested uh, for the length of the film. And it wasn't all men because Howard, Howard Butts, who actually liked the Mary Gross character, he actually, but he's the nerdy one. So he was the outcast for the men because he didn't fit the macho, stereotypical uh, FBI agent. And so in the end, the three smart ones, even though uh, Rebecca Nobornay's character was kind of a badass, Uh, it's better to be smart than just all brawn. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why they kind of won their exercise. Mm-hmm. They knew how to outsmart both the competition and the criminals. Yeah. So they knew also who their assets were, which is another thing I really like about how many of the women that I know role in my life, they know where the assets are. Right. And that's something that these two ladies really did recognize in Howard. He might not have been the most macho manly, like FBI agent guy, but they knew he was kind of a missing link in helping them figure this out. So they latched on to the person they thought would help them the most. And they knew how to lift that person up and use each other's strengths. And it's not unlike, I think the way many women I know, um, use community today to, you know, make things happen Mm -hmm. and support each other. All right. So which character do you identify with more? The, the Ellie character, which is Rebecca DeMornay or Janice, which is Mary Gross. Oh, this is a tough one. I'm a true 50-50 split. I would say that my attitude and like my get doneness is probably much more like the Ellie character. Mm-hmm. My personality can be kind of brash and abrasive and pushing people out of the way and making it happen. I don't care, man, woman, anything. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for it. But when I see the Mary Gross really, you know, quaff put together Janice and the scene where she's in the store helping Rebecca de Mornay buy this really fancy dress to go on her date with the kind of douchey guy, mm-hmm. I I see her kind of critiquing and picking and doing all her little fashion things, and I'm like, oh, I would totally, I would totally do that. And when she's showing her like all that's wrong with the pink dress. It's like, right on, girl. I would have pointed out all those same things. So in a way, and I was kind of a studious Mm -hmm. bookworm kind of person too. So I see myself as kind of Mm -hmm. both halves of the whole. And I like that because I think most women who watch this might see a little bit of themselves in both these characters too, which is probably why they were written this way. Uh So even though like the movie's fun, but I mean, watching it today, I mean, it is a little tropey, but that doesn't ruin the film, do you think? No, I actually think that most 80s film Mm -hmm. has that tropiness going on. But what's nice about this is... It lacks a lot of that straight up misogyny mm-hmm. that many of the 80s films have. Mm-hmm. And it also shows these women as both tough and smart and empathetic and open to possibility. And it just paints women, I think, in a pretty positive light, which yeah. is nice because a lot of these films from the decade of decadence that I love so much, looking yeah. back, it just feels different when you yeah. see certain scenes from certain films it, you just watch it and go oh that's a little cringe word that feels yeah. kind of wrong now that i'm 40 something mm-hmm. it didn't feel so wrong Back when i then. was you know a teenager or whatever but now you're like oh i don't know about that and yeah. this film really i think hold, yeah it holds mm-hmm. up well mm-hmm. i'm really surprised mm-hmm. watching this what's i'm not joking probably 25 to 30 years later yeah it really held up fairly well. And yeah. the comedy is still funny. It's yeah. not at the expense of the women. Right. It's actually just them being entertaining. Right. So I think that the obvious maybe connection to this movie would be Police Academy. Police Academy is more over the top and more juvenile, I'd say, even though I love Police Academy. This has elements of it, but I, you know, with the exception of the training scenes, it's kind of, I don't know what to compare it to. Ooh, that's a good one. 
I would say, yeah, the only police academy-ish element of it is this idea of learning something yeah, and trying to, yeah. to go to academy, air right. quotes, and and leave with that, yay, I've done it, and I'm I'm ready to hit the street or right. whatever. But it's not slapsticky. It's not slapsticky. It's funny in the way that you would kind of expect life to just be funny, mm-hmm. and it is really subtle with its comedy, whereas when I think of the police academies, I remember so much more of the slapsticky, sure. ridiculous moments that that did make that movie right. so special. And this one, I think, takes it a little more seriously. Yeah. And it's also nice to watch both of the Ellie and Janice mm-hmm. characters kind of develop into their own. Like, they both came with strengths, mm-hmm. and then they both developed strengths, and then they kind of left with, you know just a full basket of skills, right? Mm-hmm. That they they didn't start that way, but they left with all the things. So it does feel like this is less um, comedic, even though it was a comedy and it was funny. Because if this was two men, they probably would have made it more almost like a sex comedy type of rompy, you know, thing where I think they couldn't really do that with the women. I mean, they could have. I don't think it would have played well. No, and I think what's nice about this is even the scenes where you see some of the male academy mm-hmm. candidates kind of dogging on the idea yeah. that these are women and, like, you may not be tough enough for this or you may not make it. Even when you see that they're kind of insinuating that, the women just – they just show them through their own skill sets and intelligence that that's not a thing. Right. And they do it. You know, not by using sex appeal right. or confusing people. They just do what they do best, which is do their stuff. Right. And it's nice to see that this isn't looked upon as women using any kind of manipulative tactics no. or whatever. Like, they just straight up were good at what they did and they proved it. And if they didn't start being good at that thing, that's what they learned through their community and relationship and partnership. And then they ended up being great at it and proving that they had those skills. So there's no um, there's no moment where you look at it and see uh, some kind of old paradigm that you would have seen in traditional 80s films. And I guess this came out in 1988. Yep. And I really like the ending mm-hmm. where Ellie gets up on stage and she and Janice get like the special award yeah. right from from the group and they end you know Ellie's up at the podium and ends up saying I hope everyone in America feels better that women like us have guns and yeah. it's like a funny statement but also pretty empowering because it's like yeah we're the complete package and we've got this and it was empowering without being over the top right. and again not typical of these 80s movies where women are portrayed differently but actually that's good because there's a subtlety to it whereas today they would have made it all like girl power woman and they would have over they would have hit you over the head with it they said their thing moved on it was funny that was it where i think today they would have gone too far with it and i think that's the problem with today's movies yeah they just let it be what it was and i really liked that they did that and they also let the ellie character and janice character just be who them. they were right. right like nobody was trying like i could see in today's world an agenda e- and like all that well, i think the ellie character yeah. would have been highly like over sexualized exactly. today yeah and i think that the janice character probably would have been more stick in the muddy than she yeah. really was even if you go back to the scene where she meets ellie for the first yeah. time in their like dorm room you see from the way they're doing the question and answer thing 
that Janice is kind of funny and does have a good personality. And I like that because she doesn't she doesn't seem like she's just this dorky girl. Like right. there's actually real personality. Mm-hmm. When she says that her favorite band is the Rolling Stones, and right. Ellie's like, You like the Rolling Stones? And she's just like, next question. Like she's just <laughs> moving it along, you know? Um, I think that they are played really true. Whereas today, I think they could have been more caricatured. Yeah. And, and the film would have been much longer and bo- boring, probably. It would have killed the flow. So And more violence. And, you know what? Yeah. This film didn't have a lot of violence. And no. I mean, yes, there's moments where they've got guns. And, and, the, and the bank robbery. And, yeah, yeah, the bank robbery and whatever. And some of it, okay, like anything from like 1988. Sure. There's going to be some Shoot em up. stuff, yeah. whatever. But it wasn't gratuitous violence. No. Today, I think things would have been like exploding and it just would have been like way, way over the top. And they just, while a little cheesy at times, That's fine. they didn't make it too much. No. Yeah. So to wrap up, what were some of your favorite scenes or did you already pretty much mention them? Well, I mentioned a lot of them. I really like the one where the women meet for the first time yeah. and are having that fun conversation in, the beginning. in yep. the beginning because you get to see what sort of their personality types are like. I adore the scene where they're trying to buy the dress mm-hmm. for Ellie because I just think that's Yeah, how does so the fashion funny. hold up for you? Because you were mentioned throughout the movie, she's like, oh, God, the leggings are tights. Or... It's so typical. Well, pantyhose. I yeah. mean, get the, you know, no one's doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's some interesting fashion, um, elements that of course have gone by the wayside, but some of it has really come back. Like Ellie with the bomber jacket, you know, that whole like top gun look, that's really very much back for men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a scene where Ellie is in the bar with Janice at the end where they're like celebrating after they've kind of had like a great victory in the class before the night of their Mm -hmm. big exercise. And Janice is wearing, like, a really, like, full buttoned-up collar white blouse and, like, a long cardigan with kind of, like, high-waisted black pants and a um, a, a really nice, like, um, crossbody black bag. And it's like, oh, my gosh, minus the shiny loafers, which I don't think if, you know, flats have really made their way back. If you gave that outfit to someone today who is 20-something years old... It'd be like right back in the late 80s, early 90s, you give them some chunky Doc Martens with that, you're done. You could walk out of your house yep. today and feel respectable. <laughs> so some of the fashion is like making its way back in vogue. I do think that the dress that Ellie wore to the date is maybe a little bit uh, over the top and probably still belongs in the 80s. But when when they did these date scenes when men and women they're were out in the 80s, way dressed up. they were way dressed They look like they're going to friggin' prom, not yeah. to dinner. Yeah. And that totally happened. And you know what the other thing is? Whenever they do those fancy dinners, they also always like overdo the food. It's like everyone's eating Lobster. like crab legs or yeah. caviar or some weird thing. It's like... I might get a burger. Like, I don't... I think that in the 80s, this going out to dinner thing was almost like these dates were, like, really, really fancy dates. They're always, like, what you picture aristocrats doing instead of what you see real people doing. So that one scene does feed into the hokey, like, 80s-ness of first dates. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I I think I've seen a lot of that fashion come back. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so ultimately, would you recommend this movie? You know what? I would. I would say when I watched this again, when when this was presented to me as an option to watch and or discuss this film, I was skeptical at best. And I thought, this is probably going to be 84 minutes. I'm not going to get back of my life. (laughs) But I will say, 
I'm honestly, legitimately, like, pleasantly surprised with this one. It was funny. It held my attention. I appreciated the humor. I love the fact that it felt fairly misogyny-free. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of fun to see that 80s fashion come back. I'm a child of the 80s, and, and I heart the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Overall, this kind of exceeded my expectations watching it a second time. So I would recommend this film. And I think that of a lot of the 80s female-driven films... This one feels a bit more modern than what the you most. might have seen in, like, but forgive me, the John Hughes films, which I'm obsessed with. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up as well mm-hmm. there, um, despite the fact that I adore him and his films right. and his soundtracks uh, as this one. So I'd say, um, yeah, please go out and watch it again if you haven't. It, it's worth your 84 minutes. There you go. So damn good movie memories scores another winner. So I thank you for doing this, Lindsay, and I'm sure you're going to be back you know, on a lot of these episodes. Well, I appreciate being asked to do it. It was super fun. And um, this was a blast from the past that honestly turned out to be quite a joyous surprise. So I'm I'm really happy I got the opportunity. So thank you for inviting me. You should really have your own podcast. I did have my own podcast. Well, why don't say, what did you used to do? Uh, so uh, for years, I did a podcast about the ketogenic diet and healthy living, low carb living. There you go. So you could have joined the FBI. I could have joined the FBI. I, I could do a couple of those uh, pull ups yeah. for a while. I don't know about now, but you know what? I could I could give it a whirl, and I certainly could have passed the tests. I that that would have been my specialty. I would have been more Mary Gross of a Mary Gross in that in that way. But there was a time I was definitely a Rebecca De Mornay. So again, fifty oh. fifty split. You know, she sounds nice, folks, but she'll kick your ass. Yeah, so, yeah, um, that's Lindsay. That's he's not lying. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.